Are you ready for the word? I'm going to jump right in today. Um, so I, I want you to pay close attention to the passage today. Uh, we just went through a series titled Salty Bro. A lot of you were here for that. Um, we talked about offenses and how we handled them. Today, I want us to take a look at a time when, to be honest, Jesus was pretty bold, pretty blunt. Uh, as the young folk would say today, he was pretty savage. I think, am I using that right? Yes, I got a thumbs up, so yes. Uh, that he was pretty savage. See, he would do one thing that would stand out to everyone. But simultaneously, he's doing something different in the background. And if you aren't looking for it, you can easily miss out on a big lesson out of the passage we're going to look at today. So we're going to be looking in the book of Mark, chapter 10, uh, starting in verse 46. If you have that, you can turn to it. If, if you want to flip to it in your phone, if you're trying to find it, you know, let me know you got it. Say, got it. If, I, if you got it, if you need a minute, say, hold up, wait a minute. All right, I'll give you a minute. <laughs> All right, so Mark chapter 10, verse 46. We have it on the screen as well. And it says this, then they reached Jericho. And if you're taking notes, you might want to highlight, underline the they. We'll come back to that in a minute. Then they reached Jericho. And as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus was sitting beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet, many of the people shouted at him or yelled at him, but he only shouted louder, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, before we go any further, I, I, I want to take a look at something here. Let, let's break down this scene. So a beggar is shouting out, and the people in the crowd have seemed to have a problem with his vocal ability at this moment. But what's interesting is, if you're a beggar, how else do you get change? His whole life, Bartimaeus has been spent along the side of the road, shaking a cup and asking, begging for some change, begging for a few extra dollars. What I find interesting is that the crowd at this moment says to him, be quiet. Stop asking for help. But here's what I've learned. The enemy has no problem with you begging for stuff as long as you're not begging for God. He has no problem with you begging for stuff as long as you're not begging for God. He has no problem with you begging for this and begging for that, begging for a house, begging for a position, begging for a Netflix and chill person, begging for someone to fill some voids in your life, begging for some compliments or validation. He has no problem begging for stuff as long as you're not begging for God. So what I want to know today as we get started, is there anybody here today who is done begging for stuff and ready to cry out for God? Can we make some noise in the river this morning and show the enemy we're not going to stay quiet on stuff God wants us to shout about? You know, the enemy will often encourage your begging to keep you in a broken state. Just keep begging. Just keep begging. Let's continue on in the verse in the passage. When Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. So they called to the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you, Jesus asked. 
again, that's pretty savage right there. Jesus asking a beggar what he wants. I mean, he could say anything right now. He could say, you know, Jesus, give me a couple million, hook me up, Jesus. But he asks anyway, what do you want me to do for you? My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go, for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see, and he followed Jesus down the road. You know, I love this miracle. Uh, I've read it many times. Blind Bartimaeus is often preached about. We love the transformation that happened because now he is able to do more for himself. He's not going to be at the mercy of others to make it through each day. He can actually begin to help others get through. And I love the story, but again, what, what, what we see here, I want us to understand that Jesus is so savage that class is always in session. This miracle wasn't just for blind Bartimaeus. There was another lesson happening in the backdrop of this that most people miss because it's so easy to focus on the blind man being healed. So remember when I said the passage started with, then they went to Jericho. We got to find out who the they were. So we're going we're gonna to jump back in, into Mark chapter 10 a little bit ahead. We're going to go to verse 35 to find out who the they were. So then James and John, now we know who the they are. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over to him and spoke to him. Teacher, they said, we want you to do us a favor. So before the blind man has a favor and ask of Jesus, his disciples, his followers, uh, have, have something to ask of him as well. What is your request, he asked. They replied, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one on your right, the other on your left. Now, for those of you familiar with this story, uh, this is where Jesus says, guys, you're asking a pretty difficult thing. And they, they respond with, no, no, we, can, we, can, we want to do that. We can handle that. He says, I, I'm not so sure because here's why. Kings and officials lord their authority over you, but among you, it should be different. Whoever among you wants to be, uh, wants to be the greatest must become a servant to all. Basically, Jesus is saying, if you want to be a leader, the way up is down. What they didn't see is Jesus was using this physical healing of someone who couldn't see in the natural way to demonstrate to his disciples that you have spiritual eyes that have been shut closed. You thought this miracle was about blind Bartimaeus, but I'm still dealing with my disciples and I'm using this man's healing to point to a bigger issue in my followers' hearts. Because it is very easy for us to look at other people who can't see and not realize that we're blind too. I love that Jesus in this part wasn't dealing with lost people. That he was dealing with the blindness of followers of him. He's dealing with disciples who have been with him. That have done life with him. That have, that have seen the miracles, the signs and wonders. They've sung all the songs. Been a part of the big major events. And is it possible that you can have both eyes and still be blind? I've noticed anytime you lose your ability to see, you gain the ability to need. Anytime you lose your vision, you'll become a beggar. Anytime your eyes grow dim, you'll be at the mercy of someone else. When you can't see right, you're going to need a handout. Have you ever had the lights go off in your home? Just all of a sudden, boom, blackout. Like, if that happened right now, some of you might freak out. I might scream. You never know what's going to happen. But 
Usually when that happens for me, I, I'm crying out. I'm like, Amy. That's my wife's thing. Or when I was little, it was like, Mom. I'm not sure why I'm always going to call for a woman in that moment, but maybe there's something deeper there. But, you know, it's really, I can't see where I'm going. I don't want to run into anything. I don't know if, is everyone else okay? And in life, this can happen. And this is when, this is what happens when lights go out in our life. We lose our vision. You know, for some of us, lights could have gone out. You, you got a broken heart, lights go out. You thought you were going to get married, you didn't get married, lights go out. You were asking God for something, you didn't get what you thought you were going to get, lights go out. You thought your marriage was going to last, but it didn't last, lights go out. You thought your church was going to grow or do something for you and it didn't happen, lights go out. Anytime there are significant moments in our lives that don't go the way we thought they would go, immediately lights go out. And when lights go out, when you lose your ability to see, you gain the ability to need. And if you're not careful with that need, you'll start needing things that will never fulfill. You'll start begging for things that will never satisfy. You'll start asking for certain seats at the table and forget that you're actually at the table. What Jesus was saying to his disciples was, hey, guys, you're Bartimaeus. You're you're Bartimaeus. You're the ones begging for validation. Hey, Jesus, can you spare some validation? I need to feel important, and, and I don't feel important right now. Can you spare some validation? Can you spare some acceptance? I need some acceptance. Can you double tap my photo? I need to make sure you see me. Can I get the promotion can I get, I need to get employee of the month. Can I get the parking space with a name on it? Do I fit in with that group of people? Can I sit at that lunch table? I need some acceptance. I need some approval. Some of us, if we're honest, we struggle with approval addiction. We're constantly looking for and waiting for others to approve of what we're doing. And we're just holding out our cup, waiting for someone to toss something in. And if we're honest... Some of us, we beg from the church. We show up every week thinking this better be a good message. This better be worth my time. They better sing my song. Every week you come in begging. What God is nudging you and trying to get you to understand is that you're not supposed to be the one begging. You have a seat at the table. Some of you might be mad that Pastor Tyson wasn't the one filling your cup this morning. You you saw me walk out. You're like, nope, I don't need nothing. But I (laughs) I love it because our God is so big. Our God is so great that he always gives us more than what we're looking for, than what we expected. You thought you were coming in for a few coins to fill your cup. But God's plan was to bring you some real change. Is there anybody here today that is thankful that we have a God that doesn't just fill our cup, but he fills our lives? Amen. Amen. So here we are in the context of this passage, and we didn't even realize that we were the ones that needed the healing. That we were the ones that needed our eyes to be open. And I'm here to tell you today, there may be many of you here that didn't know it, but your eyes have grown dim. 
But our God is passing by. He is passing through the building. And if you have enough faith in you, you can hear him moving. And as he's shifting and as he's moving, if you are tuned in, you can allow him to make some changes in you. But it means you're going to have to do some things, which leads me to my title. If you want to switch over from lights being dim to fulfilling your purpose, you have to learn to forget about it. Or as Joe Pesci would say, forget about it. Turn to your neighbor, tell him, forget about it. See, blind Bartimaeus, he did something before he got his healing. That can be an example for all of us. That if we want to walk in the fullness of God, there are some things we need to do before our eyes can be opened. So we see the context of this event happening, and the first thing Bartimaeus does is he hears Jesus passing by. He begins to shout. The crowd tells him to be quiet. See, what he does is he learned he has to forget about the crowd in order to get close to God. There are some of you that the crowd around you are the ones suffocating you, keeping you in silence, and you wonder why your eyes aren't opening. It's because you're letting the people around you keep you broke because we go way back. Oh, we're homies. It's my boo thing. It's my family member who doesn't do anything for Jesus. Well, it's the person that invited me that's not involved. So you keep letting the people on your right and on your left keep you in a broken state because you were unwilling to forget about the crowd. There's some of you this morning, you got to get a little fight in you and decide, I'm not going to let the people around me keep me limited and keep me down and keep me living without purpose. I've come too far to let you decide how much God I can get. So you need to start pushing some people away because God is worthy of all of our praise. And we got to stop worrying about the people around us and give God the praise that he deserves. And if they think we're weird, so what? Tell your neighbor, you're kind of weird. Turn back to them and say, so what? We've got to get to the place where we aren't worried about what people think about us. They'll tell you now to be quiet. Don't, why are your hands raised? Why are you doing that? Why are you going there? Why, why are you reading that? But when God starts to bless you, they'll turn that hate into cheers. You got to forget about the crowd. You got to chuck some people. They're good to you, but they're not good for you. You got to forget about the crowd. And see, some, it's very easy to worry about our place and not his position. And that's why blind Bartimaeus got his healing. He didn't care about the pecking order in the crowd that day. He decided he wasn't worried about his place because he was focused on Jesus' position. And when he says, son of David, what he is doing is he's making an announcement to everyone around him that Jesus isn't the son from Nazareth, that Jesus just isn't a carpenter. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. He's the Messiah we've been waiting on. He is the one who holds, holds all the answers. Bartimaeus realizes the people around him, they don't have the heaven or hell to put him in. So he isn't going to worry about the place in the crowd or where they see him because he is focused on Jesus's position. Let me say it like this. Anytime you take Jesus out of his rightful position, you go blind. Anytime you put Jesus in second place, which he doesn't know how to take second place because he is alpha and omega, beginning and the end. So anytime we put God as second, our eyes go dim. 
when he is second, we don't see straight. So I think it'd be fitting right now if we all did an internal investigation to see if my life is dim, maybe it's because I have Jesus out of place. When he's not first in my finances, I'm begging from people, I'm begging for stuff, I'm begging from the government, I'm begging for more hours. When he's not first in my priority, I'm begging for him to work on my family, to work on my marriage. But when he gets to first place, all things work together for my good. When he is first in my life, I don't have to be anxious about anything, but I can take everything to God through prayer and supplication. When he's in the right place, he may not come when I want, but he is always on time. Is he out of place? Because if he's out of place, then you're out of sight. You have to learn to forget about the crowd. But not only do you forget about the crowd, you have to learn to forget about the coat. The coat. What's the big deal about the coat? They put it in the Bible that he throws off his coat, jumps to his feet, runs to Jesus. Why do they put the coat in there? Well, I'm going to give you some biblical history because I'm a genius with this stuff. Um, No, actually, Google, okay? Google said that this coat is very significant because in the customs and cultural climate of that day, that coat was a symbol. As a matter of fact, that coat was government-issued. The only way you could get that coat is the government would certify that you were a beggar. They'd have to certify that you could not work. They'd have to certify you couldn't contribute. So the government would step in, do an assessment of your life, and certify you a beggar. And they would give you a special coat. So when people were walking down the road, they could identify who was being for real and who was trying to hustle. I think they need to bring the coats back because I'm tired of getting hustled. I don't know about you guys, but I'm just kidding. So he's got his coat. And every day he puts on the coat, he's reminded. His coat doesn't look like anyone else's coat. He's reminded every day, I have nothing to contribute. I'm just a beggar. I've been certified this way. But something happened that day in Bartimaeus. Something happened that he decided, I'm not going to let the words that have been spoken over me define me anymore. Can I just tell you, there are some of you who might have been certified an addict because of some choices you made and the government said you need some sort of 12-step program. You might be certified a felon. You might be certified you can't handle finances. You might be certified this or certified that or labeled this or labeled that. You might be certified a complainer. You might be certified a gossiper, certified a liar. I'm here to tell you that while someone else may have certified you, Our God is so good, he says, you might be certified by the world, but I'm about to set you free in my spirit. Because who the sun sets free is free indeed. They might have put that coat on you, but I have another coat, a coat of righteousness, a coat of favor, a coat of grace, a coat of belonging. So your parent might have called you that. The person who walked out on you might have called you that. Those classmates might have called you that. But God calls you favored, and God calls you chosen, and he says you're worth dying for, and that's why you can transition from certified to set free. You don't have to be what you've always been. See, blind Bartimaeus was fed up. He was fed up with the label that was thrown on his shoulders. And what he's saying when he throws off the coat is he's saying, I need some friends. 
just not those kind of friends. I need some help, just not that kind of help. I need change, just not that kind of change. So blind Bartimaeus gets to the point in his life where he's sick and tired of being sick and tired. He's sick and tired of showing up to the same place every week at the mercy of what someone else is going to do for him. And some of us, if we're honest, our eyes have grown so dim that we show up to work, we show up to our marriage, we show up to our family, we show up to church at the mercy of what someone else is going to do for us. And that's why the feeling only lasts so long. It carries you for a few days so you get your cup and you come to church and the pastor gives a great message and it's like a couple coins into your cup. It'll last you a couple days until you're broke again so you, or you come in during the worship and you're singing the songs and it's almost like a weight gets lifted off your shoulders and you're just like, oh my God, great is your love for me. You feel it. It's real. But then you leave here and get on social media or get out into the world, and, and, and they don't love the same way. And so you feel loved for three songs. But when Monday hits, the coins run out. And you're back to, well, I better go get that quick fix. I, I, I wanted to stay pure, but, or, or I went to that site again because it makes me feel something. Or the likes on my posts make me feel validated, so I just got to keep posting. And that's why not only... Do you have to forget about the crowd and the coat? But while you're at it, you might as well just forget about the cup. I can only imagine how much that cup must have meant to Bartimaeus. That was his source. That was how he got his nightly meal. That was how he was able to purchase the blanket that he slept with at night. That's how he was able to survive. That cup was almost like a part of him. Like if he would have lost it, he would have probably gone into a frantic state, panicking, not sure what he's going to do. And that's how some of us are right now with what we're struggling with. Well, if they leave, what am I going to do? If I don't go there, what's it going to be like? Because my life has been so wrapped up in the routine, in the religion, in the activity. Some of you are like, I don't understand. How come every time I get into a relationship, they leave? Here's why. They're a nickel. You keep looking for someone to validate you, and they can't. They're a nickel. You thought a visit to that site was going to make you feel better, but after you wonder why you're feeling worse, because a penny isn't worth much at the end of the day. So you thought if I just got it, it was going to make me feel something. If I just got the validation, it was going to make me feel something. But can I tell you, all that stuff you strive for is just a nickel. You'll have to beg again tomorrow. So you've got to get to the place where you are willing and able to forget about the cup. It takes a lot of courage. But we have to do it because God wants us to transition from getting a handout to being a helping hand. And you can't be a helping hand while holding the cup. And a serious question, how many more weekends do you come to church with your cup out before you realize that Jesus has done so much in your life that you don't need the cup? 
When you realize you've got Jesus, you don't just want a cup to hold some change because what God wants to do for you can't even fit in the cup. Last time I checked, he is the cup that never runs dry. Last time I checked, he is an and then, exceedingly, abundantly, above all I can ask, think, or imagine type of God. He comes to give life and life more abundantly. He doesn't just want to throw a couple coins to you. He wants you living in overflow where people around you get their cup filled off the stuff that is falling off your life. That's what he's called us to. And some of you may be like, well, I don't, I don't have a cup. I don't, and it may not look like that, but your cup looks like this. You know what a like is on social media? It's a nickel. So you put the post out there that I'm having a good time. Someone please acknowledge it. Or I lost five pounds. Join my fitness journey. Please make me feel like I'm making a difference. I went to church this week, I filmed the song, please notice that I showed up. You keep expecting people to put something into your cup. But God says, if you want what I have for you, it can't fit in that cup. He didn't come to fill a cup. He came to fill your life. He's not just trying to get you through the day. He is trying to get us to eternity. You know, I hope the disciples got it. I hope they got what Jesus was addressing. You know, they, they had been so close for so long to him, but they were, they were begging for a position, begging for a spot. But later on in that passage, Jesus said to them, I didn't come to be served. I came to serve. I wonder if they got it. I wonder if when Bartimaeus got his healing, if they did too. Ultimately, what Jesus was trying to get the disciples to see and what he wants us to see is that they were begging for change, but they were the change. And that's the call God has placed for each of us. We should not be the ones begging for change. Church, we are the change. What God wants to see in the world is going to happen through us. What God wants to see in the church is going to happen through us. What God wants to see in your family is going to happen through you. So quit begging for change. You are the change. And there's some here today that if we're honest, we've let life make our vision go dim. We've let circumstances and obstacles prevent us from doing what God has called us to do. So we come up with excuses of why I can't or, or we're too busy. I'm just telling you, there is someone just as busy with just as many, if not more issues going on, finding a way to keep God in first place or finding a way to help out in kids' church, finding a way to greet you every week, finding a way to set up a table. Come on today, let's eliminate excuses and see what God can truly do through us. And there are some others that you've been living life with the cup out, expecting stuff to be tossed into your cup to fill the holes in your heart that can only be filled by God. You know, there's a parallel story to Bartimaeus in John chapter 4 where John, uh, Jesus meets a woman at the well, and Jesus asks her for water. And then he says to her, if you knew who I was, you'd ask me if I'm the living water. I'd, I'd be a perpetual spring. You would thirst no more. 
And she says, cool, that, that sounds great. He says, go and tell your husbands you've had five of them and aren't even married to the man that you're with now. She's like, oh, no, he didn't. He knows my business. Long story short, she says the Messiah is coming, and Jesus says, I am he. Ultimately, the story, she leaves her bucket at the well to go and tell everyone what she just encountered because she realized she doesn't need a bucket. She is the bucket. You've got the living water inside of you. You don't need to keep going back for the filling. You can be the blessing. Some of you today, you're going to realize you don't need the cup anymore. Because God is the water that never runs dry. You can throw off all your labels. I believe many today are going to throw off the label, the label of insecurity, the label of addiction, the label of setback, the label of liar. Whatever it is, that coat needs to come off today. God wants to give you a new one. So I want to end a little differently today. If you guys would stand with me. And I want you to look immediately around you. And I want you to group up with three or four other people around you in your immediate area. This might be uncomfortable for some, but our God has called us to this, to be in community with each other, to get involved in each other's lives. And if you're near someone where it's hard for them to move, please, please go to them. But just right now, gather around with three or four people around you. And I want to give a minute or two as we wrap up today just to say a prayer for those that are around you. You can pray out loud. You can pray silently. But pray for those around you. Pray they heard what God wanted them to hear today. Pray they have their best week yet. Pray they leave their old coat here today and leave with a new one. We are here for each other. That's why we come each week. So if you take a moment... Pray for those around you, and then I will close us in prayer. Wrap us up this morning with a collective prayer. And then if you want to stay after, if you want to stay talking to your group, praying for your group, more than welcome to do that. But I want to wrap up like this. I want us to all say this prayer together for those that might be praying it for the first time. And if today you've decided to, to make a change, if today you've decided to maybe Take that step to make God first place in your life. Tell someone, I'll be down front here. There'll be others down front here. If you want to pray afterwards, we're more than happy to celebrate with you because that's an amazing decision. But I want us to pray collectively together for those that might be saying this prayer for the first time. And I believe if you're one of the people that believes this in your heart, Jesus will take you from certified to set free. Many of you are going to exchange your coat right here, right now. So every eye closed, every head bowed, repeat this after me. Dear Jesus, come into my heart. Forgive me of my sins. Help me to live for you and love you all the days of my life. Today I'm new. Today I'm changed. Today I'm forgiven. Today I'm free. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen, amen. Church, like I said, feel free. If you want to stay in this place, let's stay in this place. If you need to go, but go in his grace, love, and mercy. If you want to talk, come down front. We'll pray with you, celebrate with you. 
but go in his grace, go in his mercy. We love you, church. We'll see you next week.